about it, talk about it. My name is Teresa Alphonse, and you are now tuned in to episode two of season two of the Mindful Podcast. So today we're talking about one of my favorite topics. I feel like I say that every episode, but I, <laughs> I like talking about college in particular because it was just a pivotal time in my life. And I think um, the good, the bad, it was an experience, period. So we're here to talk about that. And today I have some lovely guests here with me, France Belazir and Soraya Jean-Baptiste, who are veterans of the podcast and they've been here before. Um, so I'm just going to have them introduce themselves and just have them tell us how they're feeling. So my name is Soraya Jean-Baptiste, and I would like to call myself a women's empowerment advocate as well as a conversationalist. I believe that you can learn a lot through con conversing with one another and just dis having healthy discussions. That's how I learn more about myself as well as other people. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. I know that um, through a bit of reflection about college, it kind of stirs up a lot of different emotions. Mm. But for right now, I am feeling okay. <laughs> Good. I'm France Belazia Agustav. Um, I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. Um, I think ditto um, all of the things that you said. I love I love being on the podcast. I like this opportunity to be able to talk. Um, sorry, I'm going to talk a lot with my hands. I can't help it's it. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to um, But yeah, I'm excited to be on. Um, I'm excited to talk about college. I feel like college was definitely. Um, a really important part of my life and like really set the stone of that of what I wanted to be and I feel like I found my voice in college so hopefully we get to talk about all of the above mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna we're gonna get into yeah. the nitty-gritty so first off where did you guys go to school and if you don't mind telling us around what time period were you in college as well okay. um, I went to Simmons um, formerly known as Simmons College, now it's Simmons University. They got money now, I guess. Oh, I didn't know that. I know, yeah. yeah. They just, um, I want to say, maybe in the last year or two, they just recently changed the university status. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was a class of 2009, so I started in 2005. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went to UMass Amherst, and I started in 2009, so while you were exiting, I was entering. Mm. I was class of 2013, which is, I believe, was a very, very strong class. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about that class, but mm -hmm. I see a lot of people in that class doing a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I also went to UMass Amherst with Soraya, so <laughs> on this episode, you're going to hear us talk about a lot of <laughs> shared experiences yeah, yeah. that's actually where we met and mm -hmm. we developed our friendship so I will say from college one of the things that I love mm -hmm. is the fact that I have lifelong friends from it and I think the experiences that you go through are what make those friendships and then also what I feel like breaks them as well because you are such a different person in college mm -hmm. and what I'm 
doing now, and we went to college during the same time period, graduated in 2013, I feel like where I am now with a lot of my college friendships is realizing that I've outgrown mm -hmm. a lot of them. Yeah. Because I feel like, so to give you guys some background, I was in a residential academic program. Mm -hmm. So we called that a wrap in college. And my wrap was basically for people of color who were really, really close to making it into the honors college, but like for whatever reason, maybe it was GPA, maybe it was a weak recommendation letter, maybe you didn't do uh, an AP course or whatever it is that you just did not make the cut. So out of, what do we have, like 25,000 undergrad students at UMass Amherst, um, and I think of that, it was maybe like 8% mm -hmm. people of color. So if you're thinking about the context of where I was freshman year, lots of white people around, but our floor, our area was all POC, which I think in that regard was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I always go back and forth. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was like with everyone else in college, but then I think um, it's amazing because it wasn't just, I was coming from Brockton High, so that's majority POC and mm -hmm. then when you think about the people of color there, it's very much Haitian and Cape Verdean. Mm -hmm. Right. So my rap, we had a Cambodian boy who was on a podcast who identified as being gay. Um, that was my introduction to like having a really cool gay friend. <laughs> we had Dominican, two Dominican best friends from Lynn. We had um, someone who's Bayesian, Ethiopian, mm -hmm. Haitian. We had like anything and everything. Did I say Bayesian? Yeah, I said Bayesian already. We had two Bayesian girls. Um, so I think um, having that space and then also what was cool about our rap too is we had a bunch of professors mm -hmm. that were people of color. Oh, nice. And a lot of them were immigrants too. So I thought like I had a very unique experience in having people that looked like me teaching and then also our advisors. Mm -hmm. We're all people of color. So did you guys get, is, is Simmons predominantly white? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very white. So how was um, that being mm. at a predominantly white school? Especially uh, because you went to what? Where I went to O'Brien mm. um, for high school. So that mm. was, I would say out of, out of the three exam schools, it was the uh, most um, diverse in terms of POC and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and we were located in Roxbury. So we were in a predominantly people of color area as well. Um, yeah, it's very, very white. Um, mm. I I also did my graduate program there, so I, I had more professors in my graduate program that were people of color than in my undergrad. I want to say that I had maybe one. Is that a lie? That's a, that's, I had one. No, I had two professors undergrad um, that were of color, and those they, I had one my sophomore year and one my junior year, so the majority of my teachers did not look like me. And I didn't have the luxury of being in resident uh, life where the like on my floor was all people of color. No, we were we were like beans and rice <laughs> and, and really white rice. Um, um, and that, that I think shaped a lot of my experience at Simmons as well. Um, obviously I was a part of the black student organization, like all the black kids on campus. Um, um, there were also a, the Caribbean Association. I was also a part of that. So we, I, I was able to be with my sisters in the sense because Simmons is an all-women's college. 
um, in those affinity groups. Mm -hmm. But it was very clear to me um, and to my fellow um, students of color that we were very, very few um, in numbers. And I had a couple of experiences where race was definitely a big issue and a lot, a lot of fighting around that. Mm. I don't know if you want me to get into that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. If you um, want to, go ahead. Well, I, I one 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 big experience that I had that I can remember off the top of my head is um, so I my first year in college I commuted, which was ridiculous. Um, and very hard because I didn't really feel connected to college and college yeah. life and the community, but you know. Um, it was expensive, and the, the only way that I was going to be able to live on campus was if I found some way of affording it. And luckily, I was able to make the argument to become a resident advisor. So I, 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 I came on with the, my, um, my pitch or the essay I had to write. I wrote about how I was from the Boston area, and being from the Boston area, I, I said that I could give um, the students that weren't from the Boston area an experience of what it would be like to be from Boston and be around Boston. Um, and so that was a that was the way that I was able to get into residence life. So, as a resident advisor, I was a resident advisor for about three years. On my last year, we had some experiences on campus where um, someone wrote, I, someone wrote like a letter to my roommate saying, um, actually, it's after I became after I left resident being a resident advisor. I, I was the SGA president. As an SGA president, you get to you get first dibs on housing, mm -hmm. and so I, I got I, I got me and a friend of mine's like the best housing on campus or whatever. We had a double suite. We had a little a common area yeah, and a little bathroom, right? Um, it was not <laughs> us in the high rises. <laughs> we was oh, living yeah, ghetto. It was my really nice. whole it experience. Was, it was really nice. The trap. Um, and. Um, as, a, as like a social activity, um, they put like our names in little baggies on the first floor and you could like leave a note to the different residents in the, the room. And someone left a note in my um, friend's uh, baggie who was a, a, a Muslim student, who was a black African-American um, Muslim student, go back to your country, right? Mm. And first of all, she's African-American. Like, right, she is this her is her country. country. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, so that kind of like spiraled. Even into, if she wasn't, this is her country. Right. Yeah. Um, so that spiraled into this this big uproar. So we ended up um, doing a stand-in on the campus during um, lunchtime. So the black student organization and a couple of other black students stormed into um, dining hall in all black and like stood up on chairs and said like, you know, we're, we're not going to tolerate this. Mm. Like, we're here. We're paying the same amount of money that mm. you guys are paying, you know. We, we're here to get our education, and we're not going to accept for us to be singled out. And it, we had a mixed, mixed bag. You know, some students were like, oh, this is horrible. This shouldn't happen to you. Other students felt like, you're disrupting my, my, my dinner time. <laughs> like, what mm -hmm. are you guys doing here? Um, and it led to several more acts of um, racism on campus. They were, um, someone then wrote on someone's, um, outside of someone's dorm room door, like, um, niggers go back home or and then um, there was like a series of of notes or letters that had more racial slurs and then it spurred into um, the LGBTQ community so people were just at that point I'm assuming some of the white students were now just testing their racist waters you know what I'm saying? Mm. And, 
it really opened up a conversation on campus about how the organization, how, the organization, how the school will address racism or the isms in general, because um, they weren't really doing anything about it mm -hmm. at that time. And so we, we pushed this whole campaign um, called Zero Tolerance for Hate and had, you know, had the, the, the normal forums where all the right regular people come and say all the right things about how, you know, they, 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 they don't believe in racism and they don't, they, we all are equal. And, you know, we had those instances where, you know, that white student says, well, I love my friends and I, I have mm. one, two, three, four black friends mm -hmm. and, and counting. And I'm um, having those, so having those experiences on campus or having that one particular experience on campus really made me feel like, oh, I, I'm a black woman. Right. You know, I oh, shoot. That. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. yeah, I, that's real. I'm black as hell. Have you had yeah. that moment on <laughs> campus? It, being on campus was the first time I recognized that I was black. And it's strange to say, but I never really felt like um, race like put me at a disadvantage mm. anywhere. Mm. I went to... Um, Latin Academy for high school, and then I also went to Trinity Catholic, which um, I went from a diverse high school to a predominantly white high school, and and then I was in like honors classes and AP classes while I was in the private school too, so I was like surrounded by white people, but I never felt I never felt singled out. I never felt different. I mm. didn't care, you know, mm. and I never had any bad instances with police officers. I was the Mattapan youth representative for the mayor's youth council for two years in Boston under Mayor Menino's campaign. I was, I did a lot in high school mm -hmm. and I never felt like, I felt invincible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I went into college, um, it was the first time I felt singled out. I felt different and I thought college was going to be the, I thought the, what I thought college would be and what I got in return were two different things. I thought college was going to be a place where we can finally have um, conversations around race that's intellectual with mm -hmm. the right people. Mm -hmm. Because I used to always feel like, okay, I'm, I can talk, I'm speaking about race all the time with like friends and people that look like me, but what about the people that don't look like me? Mm -hmm. I feel like their perspective is valuable and it'll allow us to understand the other side of it. Why mm -hmm. are you looking at us this way? Mm -hmm. Or like, why are people experiencing certain things that other people aren't experiencing? Mm -hmm. When I realized that that wasn't happening, it's weird. I, I went to a, you know, a predominantly white college, but I felt like I went to a HBC. <laughs> HBC. I say that all the time. And I, because I was always around the same people. I, it was white noise. You know, mm -hmm. I had one instance of racism that happened to me that I remember. Well, there was a couple, but. This one in particular was the first one that happened to me. It was my freshman year. And I was just chilling in a room with my friends. And, you know, it was one of those drunk nights where these white people feel bold and they actually talk to us because mm -hmm. other than that, we're invisible and mm -hmm. they're invisible too. So mm -hmm. I'm like, all right. And someone knocks on my door and just start and just drunk busts in there and just, you know, start saying racial slurs and, tell me how does it feel to be black and all this weird stuff but it's like he's just being very like rude disrespectful mm -hmm. and the next day I see the same person and he pretends like he nothing, did, nothing happened. happened and from there I just solidified that you know what the what I thought I was going to get 
I'm mm-hmm. not gonna get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the division, I believe, began, where I just started to see these people as mm-hmm. white noise mm-hmm. and found my tribe, mm-hmm. which was people of color, mm-hmm. and I started to connect with that. And it's weird because before that, I was connected with everyone because mm-hmm. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I didn't feel like I was different mm-hmm. until I went into an environment where there's a lot of people there that never seen a black person, never had an interaction with a black person. Mm-hmm. And college was also where I learned um, my vocabulary to speak about certain issues. Right. I learned about what it meant to be black. That was where mm-hmm. I, I realized that there's so much information that's hidden from us and we're, we're not even able to really analyze it because mm-hmm. we don't know how much we were missing. Mm-hmm. There's some people that, uh, like, I can only imagine the people that never sought out the information that's out there. Mm-hmm. Because me knowing that it was available, I learned more about who I am, what it means to be black, the different um, criterias of blackness. Yep. And that's something that was far-fetched to me. I didn't yep. know that existed. Yep. And I thought about all this missing history about black people that is like only introduced to you in college mm-hmm. if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know like you have to take and it as an elective. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, this is interesting. Yeah. Whereas I'm always learning about Christopher Columbus, World right. War II, all this stuff. And what's the point of Black History Month when you're realizing that we don't, we haven't even scratched the surface of what black people are Right. Done. I mean, we had a library dedicated to. W.E.B. Du Bois. Yeah. And did people even know who that was before they no. went to college? No. Isn't, no. That, isn't that strange? I've had experiences very similar to the both of you guys. Um, so my elementary high school experience, I've had, I've gone to predominantly black schools, Brockton High, but then I've also gone to schools with majority white people. And when I was with white people in middle school and elementary, like I knew I was different because people would tell me I was different. Like they'd tell me like, make your hair stick up again. Or <laughs> like, like I, people knew I was, I, was, I was the token. Like people assumed that I could sing. People assumed that I could dance. I can dance. So luckily, I mean, I, I was in the middle of all like the, the circles and all the dances and stuff. But like, I, like Soraya, I still connected with people. So I didn't feel outcasted. I did feel at the time Though, like, there was this burden that I did have to represent for an entire race of people, which is um, part of the reason why I decided to go to Brockton High instead of continuing on in Eastern Public Schools. But it wasn't until I got to college where I realized that there is this connection with access in my race. So I remember being like so vividly in a sociology class. It was race, um, class, and gender. One of my favorite classes that I have ever taken in life. And um, I just remember being in that lecture hall with maybe like 100, 100 plus kids. And like, it was just a, a format of learning that I was not used to. And the vocabulary people were using, the way, like, it was just like everybody was on the same page about how to be in college except for me. And I'm just like, and yes, it was a a mixed class. It was freshmen, it was upperclassmen, whatever. But people are just raising their hands right and left. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, everyone's so articulate. And I remember calling my mom, mind you, I was in AP classes, like I was in honors classes. I graduated top 10% of my class, like all of that. And um, I've always been 
not to toot my own horn, but like gifted um, and in gifted programs. But for whatever reason, at that point, I, I just did not feel like I was prepared. Mm -hmm. And I called my mom afterwards crying, just like, I don't think I can do this. Like, and this is me saying college isn't for me. Um, and she's like, no, no, like, you got it, whatever. And then, like, slowly, eventually, I learned the language. I learned how to, because it's not just a matter of, we all know this, like, it's not a matter of being smart or having capacity. It's like you have to learn how to be in school. Right. Like there's a culture of being school in school. And I feel like um, certain communities are prepared for that culture more than others. And like that's when I was like, okay, so going to Brockton High meant this. Mm -hmm. And them going to Wellesley High or whatever school they're coming from, Oliver Ames, means this. I agree with you because I do think that, well, at least Latin Academy mm -hmm. is more focused on um, liberal arts. Mm. Different. I, I don't know if you remember the, the um, exam school systems mm -hmm. and stuff, but mm -hmm. Latin Academy is more focused on liberal arts. So our writing is like the focus, mm. writing, reading, um, dissecting articles. Like mm. we know how to do all this stuff. That's why the like I know that a lot of people in college they struggled with writing and mm. I saw that it was mainly people of color because there's a certain um essay format that you're supposed to write like but mm -hmm. if you're not going to a college preparatory school mm -hmm. like, you're not going to know that this is what the requirement is to write mm -hmm. and I think um they do people a huge uh, a huge disservice by going to certain schools where it's like yeah you're getting all the grades you're getting all this stuff but are you preparing me for college, mm -hmm. you know what I, mean? mm -hmm. I can be getting all these A's and stuff, mm -hmm. but I'm disconnecting because now I go to college and I feel so behind. I don't have the language. I don't have this. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, academia wasn't like, see, for you, your, your connection was the sociology class, race, class, and gender. Mm -hmm. For me, it was a woman's studies class. Mm. Um, I That's funny because yeah. that's what we're into now. I do. <laughs> gender politics mm -hmm. or just like someone well learning the language of what I've always been feeling all these mm. years where it's like <sighs> yes yeah, no I've that's the been thing feeling it and now I know how to articulate yep. it now I have the um I have the education to really exude what I'm saying instead right. of just you know using words where I'm not really identifying what the problem is right and I guess that's where I fell in love with gender politics. And for a period of time, I was gender nonconformist. There was, there was a lot going on. You know what I mean? You learn all these terms. And you're like, yeah. We got to use like, them. Gender is, um, gender is fluid. You know what yeah, I mean? Gender yeah. is not real. It's a social construct. I remember I used I remember to use that like, all the time. It's real. Like, yeah. It's yeah. created this. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And just parroting, parroting, parroting. But then when you're able to look outside, like when you're, so we were in the box when we were in high school. Mm. When you go to college, especially when you go to college far and you step outside the box, you're able to analyze yourself when you were in the box and thinking like, wow, I can't believe all this stuff was happening around me and I didn't see it. Right. Right. A hundred percent. I'm like, wow, this is like groundbreaking. Like, 100%. I can't believe like. I'm like being objectified constantly, and you know, as a, like for me as a woman, mm -hmm. when you're young, like a lot of women are seeking validation from men, mm -hmm. 
you know what I mean? We're, we're thinking that our capital is linked to our beauty. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why. You know, there was a lot of women um, that I used to, that I spoke with while I was in college and talking about our teen years, talking about middle school, hearing about men like beeping the horn or trying to pick you up, doing all this stuff and thinking that it's cute, thinking that, oh, I just look good, all this stuff, but not realizing you're being They were predators, upon. yeah. You're being preyed upon. Um, and realizing how black women in particular are silenced, you mm-hmm. know, a lot about um, sexual assault, sexual abuse. It happens a lot in our communities and there's not a voice for it. And I was so happy that I was, I was given the opportunity to get the, like, have the jargon, have the statistics, and bring it back to that community because there's a lot of people that they just don't know any better mm-hmm. or they don't have the tools to realize that it's not okay to feel like it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, we live, like, and I remember growing up where you're hearing constantly, like, well, you're dressed like this, what do you think is mm-hmm. going to happen? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you're fast, you're this, you're that. And the men never getting a glance. Like, mm. what's your problem? You know, why are you, why are you sexualizing me? I'm Rape culture old. in college is huge. Yes. And it's normalized. I feel like there are so many women that have stories of, people preying on them, especially in times where they're inebriated and have been drinking and partying. It was, it's like, it's normal. Like, I feel like our first night, I feel like we always talk about this, um, but like the first night when you're dropped off by your parents on campus, everybody's just like walking around, everybody's drinking, and it's just so normal for groups of guys to try to get you back to their room. Yeah. Like, that is the culture. Like, it is, you You are a prize, especially as a freshman. I didn't experience that. Really? Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Um, I actually, I mean, I definitely experienced that. I mean, everyone knows the first party you go to is at MIT and Chocolate City. That's what oh, we Yeah, yeah, me too. Heard about that. <laughs> Where you go. And definitely that happened there and on those different campuses. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, I think when I was in school, um, I... To be honest, and I hope my husband doesn't see this part, but I was I was definitely a player. I got into being just as objectifying as a man when mm-hmm. I was in a campus because mm-hmm. I was just like, well, y'all can do it and I can do it too. Mm-hmm. I'd see a tall, sexy guy, but hey, baby, what's good? How you doing? I would touch him too. You know, I would grab his hand too. And I don't, I don't know if it's because we were on an all-women's campus, mm. and all of us kind of felt like, mm. and our, like my girl crew, we would go to the parties and be just like the men mm. in there. Um, and I kind of felt like that empowered me a little bit, and kind of, and, and a lot of responses that I would get from guys would be like, oh, wait, oh, okay, well, uh, yeah, my name is, and da-da-da, like, yeah, I, I am taking control of this situation, mm-hmm. and, and, and if I want to take you home or to get your number then I can do that or not and I mean a lot of times I would just get a meal off of them and send them on their way right um but I think it really gave me the confidence to show that I didn't I didn't have to be what they thought I was going to be and that I was going to have control over the situation I think that your environment played a huge role yeah yeah because I realized women that I meet that went to like all-girl high schools or like all-girl college they have this air to them of mm-hmm. confidence, but it's because like you're not like you don't have to worry too much about yeah. the 
You know, on the day to day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where guys yeah. are doing this or catcalling, yeah, this yeah. yeah. It was yeah, it's definitely a us. different experience. Yeah. Definitely a different experience. Because I know, like, I don't know, it's weird, but to like veer into like um, self discovery because mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about where I found that like how my values aligned more with women and advocacy for women. I also like. I realized that, you know, in college I had a reputation and um, I had a reputation for being very, um, maybe very loud. I had a very strong personality. Um, I was very um, extra, you know, whatever that means Mm. for a a lot of other people. Did you clap a lot? I don't know. I, I did whatever I wanted. She patted her head a lot. I did pat my head a lot. I honestly didn't care. Mm. about what anyone thought mm-hmm. i walked funny i pat my head sometimes <laughs> i talk with an accent when i felt like it i did a lot of stuff wait what kind of accent was this? i pretended i was french one day that oh was, my god <laughs> i was like it was just fun i did it with yeah actually did that too <laughs> <laughs> so i did a lot of weird stuff but the thing is um in college I was able to find my tribe. Mm. And my tribe was the people that accepted me for who I was mm. and took the time to know who I was. Yeah. The other people that had um, general like assumptions about me, you didn't take a chance to really get to know me. And I don't really, I don't go out of my way, mm. you know, for like interactions with people. It's either you're gonna like me or you're not gonna like me and that's okay. But yeah. to be honest, for the people that do know me, I am kind of a homebody, like, mm. but I'm, my presence, because of how like my pre- because of how my presence is when I'm there, you feel like you you feel me there. Yeah, you know right. What I mean, right. But I'm not there that often. Yeah. Because I need time for myself to decompress. Mm-hmm. And I realized that um you know in college you know before you're just I didn't realize the amount of people that you know um didn't like me or didn't really connect with me until um i had like this whole like presidency debacle and all this other type of stuff but that opened up my eyes because Mm. i didn't like you know when you're you're i felt like i was living in a false reality Mm. where like oh you know i'm thinking everyone's cool i'm cool i don't really uh, you know i don't really have a strong opinion about people that i don't know you know what i mean so i don't think i i only assume that you wouldn't have a strong opinion about me because you don't no. know me well. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. But when I saw, like, um, when I heard what people were saying and saw how people were acting and stuff, it made me take a step back and realize that, you know, I need to do a better job seeing myself or seeing how I'm being received by other people and understanding, understanding the why. I may not necessarily agree with it, but I can try to learn from that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And what I learned from it is... Um, through like discussions with a lot of my friends or like just different people because I've had people come to me and talk to me one-on-one about certain things because I've asked them like I never even talked to this girl why does she have a problem with me I'll talk about her this that and the third and I've had people try to break it down to me and all this other stuff because I truly want to know how I'm being received Mm -hmm. and I guess knowing that like okay people people don't like you all this stuff it made me realize that, you know, I can't live my life for people. Right. And when you find your tribe and you know the type of friend that you are, that's all that should matter. Because the people that 
are my friends. They see the value that I have, and I try to accept people in totality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when they're in college, they're not, you know, you're trying to find yourself too. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. But I know it was a very eye-opening experience, and it, it was extremely, it was hurtful. You know, yes. it was hurtful. <laughs> now, I want to hear about this debacle. What happened? Did you like a poster like, or something? Huh? You was trying to be president of something and it didn't I, work I out? I became president oh. because I'll explain something <laughs> that I believe in. What's for you is always going to be for mm-hmm. you. No matter what people say, no matter how they act, or no matter how they try to sabotage you, what's for you is going to be for you. Mm. And I live in my truth. Yeah. I'm just going to, I had a mission in my head. I knew when I was a freshman in, in um, that you wanted to be yeah, president. I knew when I was a freshman in college. That I was going to be president of PASA. Mm-hmm, that yeah. was just in my mind. I remember calling my complicated situation at the time. <laughs> it's still with me. Right. <laughs> I was like, Both you know what? <laughs> I'm going to be president of PASA. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's just what I want to do, everything. And I think it was because I wanted to be more connected. Like, you know, when you, you go to school, I mean, you go to college and stuff, and you realize all this information that you didn't know, and then you find an RSO where you can learn even more about the culture that yeah. you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, I need to know about this because my dad's like, he's, you know, he serves the Haitian community. Mm-hmm. I love Haiti. I want to be a part of this, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And to Teresa's point about, like, the things that we have, um, we've seen and we've, like, we've done in college, one of the pivotal moments in my presidency was uh, like having the funding, the backing, the support for us to go to Haiti, a blacklisted country. After the earthquake happened, we got resources and we were able to partner with the school, an agricultural school. Mm-hmm. And I remember this was been this has been they've been working on this for years. I was in these meetings for years. Mm-hmm. And to have Teresa be the trailblazer to get us there it was just it was an incredible moment and it made me really proud to be haitian too yeah i was so proud to be haitian that's one of my greatest achievements to this day in my life yeah i think um so entering college similarly to soraya a lot of people did not like me um i know though that i came into college thinking that i knew it all i think um a lot of people didn't understand me and my blackness I think also what it is too is I feel like we learn a lot about intersectionality in college and um, because we were at UMass Amherst we created our own HBCU we really got a a good lens at what blackness looks like in all different shapes and forms Mm -hmm. so I think um, I people might have not understood me or have experienced a black person like me i people thought i spoke with um a different um kind of accent (laughs) i would say than other people they said i sounded like a white girl um whatever that means um i think so in high school it was almost like my crew like we were we were i wouldn't say we were mean girls but like we we enjoyed kind of um, we we enjoyed talking about other people like 
we enjoyed kind of emulating some of the like characters we would see on TV and we spoke like them and we had mannerisms like them and we would have our like fake Louis bags and like we just thought we thought we was running it like in high school and I feel like because of the the dynamics at my school like I played sports I was friends with I wouldn't say I was popular but I was well known mm -hmm. like a lot of people knew me and um I think I entered college with the same expectation that like I was going to be well known and that I was going to kind of have a crew and run my crew and um, like that people would I would be a leader like and continue to be the leader that I was in high school. But I think um, going to a place where, yes, I went to a big high school, but again, UMass Amherst is huge and it's a, a bunch of people with different from different walks of life. I um, I found myself a bit lost. And especially freshman year when you're not aware of what organizations are out there. Like first semester, I wasn't really a part of anything. And then like going to the zoo too, I didn't really drink or anything in high school. So going to the zoo was my opportunity to be free, to try alcohol, to go party. And I think I really kind of got to a point where it was like excessive. Mm -hmm. Like I was always in a party, I was always drinking because I felt like that was the culture. It was normalized. And even at 18, like we were having upperclassmen go buy us alcohol. And just like, if we didn't have an exam the next day, it's like, what are we doing? Okay, we buying Rubinoff, like let's drink. Like it was just so normal. And everyone around me was doing that in the same way. And I think, um, it took me a lot too to realize that some people have a larger tolerance or capacity to be doing the same thing that you're doing. So like, I feel like I would get to a point where um, I'd get so intoxicated that I didn't have control. Mm. Even if someone else would drink the same amount as me um, and then they would still have like all cognition. Um, so I think the drug culture is something that kind of that that was a point when we're talking about like losing ourselves and finding ourselves I definitely feel like I lost myself in that and I felt like it almost got to a point where it was just like because I'm using and I'm creating all these bad experiences and when I say using drinking alcohol because I'm using and creating these bad experiences I feel like I have to continue because it makes the experiences while I'm in it better, even though once I sober up, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I did X, Y, and Z. And like, these are, re these are the repercussions for it. Mm -hmm. But like, it still felt like at least let me do it because while I'm in it, it's, I, it feels okay. It feels fun. And then when I wake up, I'm just like, oh, what's going on? And I think a lot of um, the other reason, in addition to just people not knowing how to receive me was, I think people were upset at some of the things that I would do when I was um, under the influence. Mm -hmm. And I think it definitely took being a part of Hassa, being a part of Peach, finding my tribe. Um, I think, especially senior year for me, connecting with people like Soraya and some of our mutual friends um, and having really like in-depth conversations and not having friendships because a lot of my friendships 
were surrounded by partying. Mm. Like, yes, I lived in the rap. We had all the same classes together. But a lot of it was, and I feel like especially for women, too, like a lot of our friendships were based around our experiences with men mm -hmm. and boys and talking about dating. And I feel like that was what I was talking about in a lot of my, my groups. And, like, even to this day, I feel like there were people that I was so close to at that time. But, like, if you ask me about, like, personal stuff about their lives I really don't know because I don't feel like we were creating friendships on that level and I'm noticing that those are a lot of the friendships that I don't have anymore mm. but it was the friendships where like we really connected over our purpose mm -hmm. like getting to Haiti like creating cultural nights where we were expressing our culture to the entire campus yeah. where we were educating where we were activating like those are like through those experiences, that's when I created like real lifelong lasting bonds. And I'm so grateful for like those organizations because that is like now I know, I feel like from that I recognize what my purpose is and I'm like continuing to walk in that. And uh, no, it was a lot, bro. It was a lot. <laughs> so what's interesting about college, college I also, I learned that I don't work well in non-structured environments. Mm. Environments where I have to create my own structure is mm -hmm. extremely hard because it's such a big school. And um, freshman year was when I was diagnosed with PCOS. So I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the way that you can monitor it, right, is through diet exercise. I'm home, you know, when, I, when I'm back home, I don't have to think about it because the structure's already there. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm chilling, I get it. I went into college and I think it was the end of my the end of my freshman year and majority of my sophomore year is when I was the biggest I've ever been in my life. And the reason why that was was because, I don't know if you remember, but they were building the gym. Mm -hmm. I didn't have access to the gym. The gym, the only gym they had was in Topman or whatever. Topman, Top, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad far really, for really those far. of you guys that don't know. And, you know, my mom was talking to me and stuff like that. And, like, I, I remember when I started my freshman year, you know, I dressed up to go to school because that's what I was used to. Mm -hmm. People used to make fun of me, like, where are you going? You know, are you going somewhere? So I got into, like, sweatpants culture. Everyone's just so critical. <laughs> yes, like, mind your business. Um, I always <laughs> sweatpants culture and sweatpants and, and hoodie culture. I remember when my mom visited me and she was so mad. Like, what mm -hmm. are you doing? What are you wearing? Whatever. Mm -hmm. And then she also reminded me, she's like, you know, you're not going to know if you're gaining weight or not when you're wearing these sweatpants. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, mom, I got this. Mm -hmm. And because of the stress of the environment, not having the gym, and also like the food, the access to food that we had, like my symptoms for PCOS were accelerating. I was, mm. I was dealing with a lot. Mm. And I feel like, because of like my medical condition at the time, that I found love in college, you know, like my, mm. my, my man right now, you know, who's been with me for like now 10 years, he, dang, know, right? a long really time. strange, <laughs> really, really strange. That's a long time. Wow. Yeah, it's extremely strange, <laughs> but he, he was there with me while I was going through all these changes in my body where I wasn't as confident or I wasn't as like, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like me. And he's the person like 
he played a huge role in my confidence mm. because he reminded me that you're not like it whether you're this or that you're still you you mm. know and i feel like that also played a role as to why I was so in love with myself was because someone was loving me the right way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And showing me, like, I don't need to worry. All this other stuff doesn't matter. It, let's try to figure out your health and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, my junior year was when, um, my junior year is when, because things were getting so crazy, I decided to go a more natural route with um, my PCOS diagnosis. And I started following the glycemic index and everything like that and currently right now i don't have pcos that's crazy right wow, yeah that's really great. crazy i because a lot of other people like they think it's a if they, <laughs> loud claps <laughs> no, it's a um they think it's a diagnostic that stays with you mm. forever right mm. but there are natural remedies that work or diet and exercise and not having to be on birth control and not have so i learned so many things about the um i learned so many things about medicine i learned so many things about my body mm-hmm. um being in college i i learned to not always have to listen to a doctor that's always prescribed trying to prescribe me something mm-hmm. and doing your research and realizing that there are other ways mm-hmm. you know france you had talked about before we started filming going to therapy in college mm-hmm. what was that like and what like brought you to that point um i was thinking about a lot of things so you just switched my my train of thought um so yeah i started going to therapy why did i i don't know if i really want to say why i went but you don't have to <laughs> i'll say it's cool it's over now um i was dealing with a relationship that now i know was toxic um and it was a relationship that i had prior to college i was um this is my first serious situation or whatever situation ship mm-hmm. um that kind of spilled over into college and just like I was saying earlier you know I feel like you know I I got into this flow where I was really confident in the way that I moved around men and and acted towards men but this one relationship just kept coming around this one situation just kept coming around showing up on campus unannounced and just deciding that um, it didn't really matter what I was doing, that he could be there and be in my space and interrupt whatever was happening in my life. Um, and it became really toxic because I was torn. I, I, I had this relationship and I thought that, okay, this is going to be the person I would marry. But when I got into college, I was like, no, I want to be free. I want to experience different mm-hmm. things. And I didn't want to be tied down to a relationship. Um, and I was very uh, upfront and honest with this person about that. And he was dealing with some medical problems in his life where, you know, he thought that he was going to die, which he was pretty close at dying, um, had kidney disease. Um, and so I was struggling with feeling like that I needed to somehow maybe be with him just in case he died, but mm-hmm. still trying to be independent and do my own thing. And then also feeling like if I stopped in became this person for him would that then stunt me in something that could be a possibility for me or mm-hmm. um, any life other life experiences that I could have and I didn't know if he was in fact the person I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with and I felt like it was too big of a decision to make so young in my life um, and so there was just a, a period of time where he was pursuing me heavily 
and it, it just trickled into my schoolwork and the way I was taking care of myself and um, just spending a lot of time in my room really, really down and depressed about like, what, what do I do? How do I deal with this situation? Because no, I know I care about this person and I don't want this person to die, but do I, is this my responsibility or not? Um, and so I started seeing um, a therapist on campus and we, they have a, a counseling center at Simmons. Um, I think it's about like seven therapists that are there. Um, and I started seeing this woman, um, Jewish woman, she was great. Um, and I think, I wanna say that I, I was talking to a professor of mine about it and the professor was like, why don't you try the counseling center? Like you, there's, mm -hmm. there's people there that you can go and talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really simple. I went one day and they signed me up. I think I was seeing my therapist within a week. Um, and I just started talking out this relationship and in, in, in the conversations with her, I, I, I realized that no, you know, like it wasn't my responsibility to be this person's person right now. And it, it was okay for me to want to be free and want to do my own thing and want to think about what my life would be like without him and that Honestly, I needed to focus on my life and mm. on my education and do what I needed to do for myself. Um, and so I, I probably seen her for probably like a, a year at the most. Um, and then I, I stopped going because I felt like I can deal with it on my own. Um, so did we have therapy I, on campus? We did have therapy we on probably campus. Did. We probably did. 10 free sessions a, a semester. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I, because I had a, you guys I, have to pay? I mean, uh, 10 free insurance. sessions? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Insurance, yeah. But, um, I had no idea. Yeah. I should have used it. College, <laughs> in my opinion, is a social experiment. Because oh, definitely. How, oh, can yeah. that? how can you put people that just graduated from high school, they don't know, like... 17, 18-year-olds. Like, <laughs> they don't know anything about life. Yeah. Yeah. Then your parents just, for me anyways, yeah. they Dropped drop you off. Literally. And then it's like, <laughs> I'm so used to having my mom, my dad, yeah. someone around mm -hmm. me. I have a stranger that I'm supposed to room with. Mm -hmm. And my parents are only thinking about the academic side of it. Yeah, yeah. They don't and think you're about dealing with things. so many. Then there's the things. cultural piece on top of that because our parents, all of us, are Haitian. Right, right, right. So right. they haven't experienced <laughs> what a dorm room, what yeah. college is like. They mm -hmm. have no idea. Mm -hmm. But I, I want what I wanted to say. Sorry to cut you guys off, but um, I feel like my experience of college was super different from mm. you guys. Um. You know, and I and you you said it earlier. Just I I feel really blessed, and not to like um, I think you guys' experience obviously made you guys who you are. But mm -hmm. going to a woman's college, I think I I don't I don't know that I would make it at, at UMass Amherst. You know, what I'm saying I I feel like I would have definitely got lost mm -hmm. at UMass Amherst. You know, Simmons is small, um, tight knit. I mean, definitely I had experiences related to race and. Um, but besides that, like, it it felt really good to be around women and being in an educational space where you, not only were you being empowered or you were, you know, you, you could learn whatever you wanted to learn and you had female professors that were traveling the world and bringing their work around the, all over the world. Mm. I did, I felt so, so much empowerment and so much leadership like all, all, all the things that I wanted to do I got to do I, I I you know I did BSO I did SGA 
I, I, I learned how to speak in front of people. I did mm. a lot of speaking engagements. I spoke to high school students. I spoke to middle school students. Like mm. all these opportunities that I, that was given to me that I don't know that I would have taken up if I was in a school that was, you know, large like UMass and had men. Because I think I would have just, you know, got a, caught, caught up in like the party life and all that. And I, I don't, I think just like what you were just saying about being 17, 18, coming to the world. My mom, I would, I, I couldn't. My mom would just, you could be outside as long as she could see you from the window, that's where you could be. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, and imagine going on campus and not having my mom watchful eye on me. Mm -hmm. Like, and obviously I, I partied and I did all that stuff and I drank, but it wasn't a part of the school culture to like drink a lot or drink too much. Or if we were always out on a group, like mm -hmm. if someone got, if someone was drinking too much, it was that one person in the group that was drinking too much, and we all decided that we weren't going to drink as much so that we would be taking care of that oh, person. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that's, yeah, that wasn't and even Yeah, that. we just it's all like, got drunk. No <laughs> way. And you hope that your friend made it back safe. Right. Oh, my no, God. You don't. Yeah. I remember, I remember yeah. one experience vividly. My This one girl, she was, we were all cool, whatever. Um, and she, you know, she had this guy that she was talking to who was on Chocolate City. We was always party at Chocolate City. And she wanted to hang out with him. And we're like, we're not leaving without you. And she was like, well, I'm going to go hang out with him. We camped out outside of his dorm room until she came out and did the morning walk. It was like, not us. We, we, we were all that sleeping on the couch us. outside his room, like, just sleeping. And we just, it, it, you know part of a, being an RA, like we did floor snacks and we, we talked about rape culture. We talked about um, safety in numbers. We talked about, you know, just supporting each other and not leaving anyone behind. And so we legit spent the night outside of this guy's room just because mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure she got home safely. Mm -hmm. um, and, we, and it, you know, so it's just like, I feel blessed that I had that experience because I, I don't think that I would have made it through college if I went to a, a, a lot, lot of, of people didn't. And I, think I wouldn't have. To your point, going to UMass Amherst, I believe, made us strong. Yeah, yeah, we definitely. Agree. Resilient. Definitely. I am very comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, realizing that, like, a lot of girls were slut shamed. Mm -hmm. A lot of girls, you know, like, we, you had to either allow yourself to be like, no, you're not going to be able to tell me my story. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe, like, a lot of the women in my group, like, we changed it into sexual liberation. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you're calling it this, we're calling it sexually liberated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting because when you're in an environment where, like, you do feel like you got to watch your back because you don't mm -hmm. even know if you're, if you're like, your friends in college are really, really your friends. Really your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Are they talking about you? Do they have the same guy that you're talking to? Are they doing this? Because you see a lot of stuff. The school is so big. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. But and it's very gosh. interesting that, like, people were so obsessed with sex mm -hmm. in college, especially, like, the sex lives of other people. Yeah. Like, to Sarai's point, like, people would tell me what I've done and what I have <laughs> not done. Yeah. And if I would tell people what I have or have not right. done, people would be like, I don't believe you. You've done this. Like, my group of friends, I'll be perfectly honest. Forums too. What there forums? There were forums where people invited people 
to talk about. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, no, t- it was like, it was, like, it was, it was bad. Like, everybody was in everyone's business. So, it's like, my group of friends, like, we all came. So, I grew up in a, a Catholic home. So, I went to college thinking, like, okay, marriage, like, I'm saving it. That's it. And my group of friends was like that, too. We were all sons and daughters or daughters at least because the men they were out there but the daughters (laughs) daughters of immigrants that were just like we've been told our whole lives like we got to preserve all of this this is not for just anyone and my whole group of friends virgins but for whatever reason on that college campus nobody believed us everybody wanted to say like we were with this person and we were that with that person and well i can speak for myself because i can't be in a room with everybody else (laughs) but for myself like that wasn't the case Mm -hmm. and i think people people want to project like this this idea of who you are onto you without really even understanding who you actually are and i think a lot for me in particular i think from being like the party girl or whatever, people couldn't fathom that like yeah, I could be intoxicated and not let a man take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean Teresa, she had that experience. I was, I didn't. Me and Teresa, we started building our friendship when um, building our friendship and getting more intimate when we were in our senior year, working more closely together. I think it was junior senior year mm-hmm. that's when things started to really like solidify itself and having a really solid foundation of friendship but before then like it was just like i was on the outskirts of it i would see it and be like surprised and not want to be a part of it you know what <laughs> I, mean? I was a i was a um what do you call it i i was a like a spectator. fly on the wall mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean a spectator i was a wallflower i was just <laughs> observant and I also had like a loud, I mean, I had a huge energy, but I believe that because I had, there was someone around that I just felt grounded with, I didn't have to experience those type of talks because there was all, like, he was just always there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. my, my. You got wiped down just, early. <laughs> and mind you, I, mind you I, complicated situation turned into a serious situation. Mm. That's what always happens. <laughs> it was complicated, but it's like I would rather deal with this than deal with all of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, and I, right. I remember speaking to him at the time and just telling him, like, you like, it's just so weird here. Mm. You know, like people don't even really want to like know who I am. Mm-hmm. What they want to do is just smash or, you mm. know, try to like lure me. Mm. And I just thought it was so strange. And mm. I didn't feel like I and then with taking women's studies classes and stuff, you realize like you're only like you're just a piece of meat to these right. people. And I'm like, right. this is strange. Right. And I, and the thing and that's when I learned in college is when I learned that I would rather be respected than lusted after. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna be lusted after. Mm-hmm. I've already dealt with that. I know how it feels like the attention is great and all, but what I aim for is respect yeah mm-hmm. and that's what made me just yearn to know how to speak well understand how to present myself in a way where i am articulate i can present the information in a way that people are like surprised mm-hmm. and i have something else to show for it because now i believe that my personality as well as my presentation skills allows me to be in a room where i can i can reach a lot of different people yeah 
That's dope that you realized that in college, because mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't get to that point until I started working, mm-hmm. like not even grad school, because I went to grad school in Miami, mm-hmm. which is like a completely different college experience because I wasn't on campus. I was commuting. I had my own apartment. So I felt like there was like this duality of being like an actual like adult and resident, but then also being young enough to kind of still partake, especially in Miami and the party life and live it up. So I, I was still, it was like, it was almost like freshman year all over again. I feel like when I was in grad school, because leaving, I think what like our theme here is having a sense of home and an anchor Mm -hmm. has been really crucial and integral in us keeping our sanity. Like you had Mark, you had your core group of friends. I had um, a group of friends that I thought was my group of friends, but that's when I was like very turbulent. Then I found my core group, I found my purpose, but then it all over again. Mm -hmm. Like, and then I'm in, in an environment that's even more tempting, that's even more, lustful sinful like everybody in Miami especially is like there for a good time everyone's out there on vacation so nobody like nobody's trying to be in a relationship it's all situationships up and down not even that it's just like I'm here for one night kind of thing and um it was it again it was like freshman year all all over again it was very difficult I think it wasn't until I got to a place where I had consistency, like I came back home and started working that I feel like I really started to find my voice and who I was and started to, because I feel like the treatment from men in that time frame was so normalized, like basically everybody was an F-boy, like I think everyone that I was interacting with, like there was no respect in any regard and it was um, to the point where I, I was accepting that behavior all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, now that I'm like, it's crazy. Now that I'm 28, I feel like I'm finally attracting people that are at my level and like who um, I can actually, because I did, I think even with the F boys, I would see myself with them. But I think that spoke to where I was Mm -hmm. at that point in my life. But like, it's like now I feel like I'm in a place where like, I can, I can smell it from a mile away. Like, (laughs) don't, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Like, no. Don't you feel like college also, I'm not sure if it is your experience, but college really made me appreciate my parents. Oh, a hundred percent. I really feel like without them, like, I don't know where I would be. And I, you know, when you're away from them, because, you know, they're always there. Right. You kind of get like, oh, you know, you take it for granted. Yeah. yeah. And then you're away from them and you realize what they're, you know, like what them physically being here does for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What their guidance does for you. Mm-hmm. And I remember like in college, I spoke to my parents every day. Mm-hmm. It was very strange because it's like, you know, normally you get annoyed, like, okay, you're bothering me, whatever. But I, I think in, in college is when... I developed a friendship with my parents, like a real friendship with my parents, and learned who my parents were as people. I stopped seeing them as my parents and started seeing them for who they were Mm -hmm. and saw them as human beings, Mm -hmm. you know, based on my studies and everything. And I just appreciated them and realized, like, a lot of the things that you guys have gone through or I haven't even been alive for, Mm -hmm. 
makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. I came when you were like 25, mm-hmm. 26. I don't know, if, especially if I'm dealing with all this stuff now, mm-hmm. I can only imagine what your story was. Mm-hmm. And it made me more um, curious about my parents' story. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, and I so. wanted to explore more about yeah. who they were and how that relates to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you said that. I had um, a project. Um, I can't remember the class, but we, we had to interview our parents. And I didn't know my mom's story until this class about, so I, I, I mean, I knew my mom was young when she came um, to the United States from my father, but I didn't know the, the nitty gritty details or whatever. And I was interviewing my mom for this, you know, I'm like, okay, so tell me how you ended up here. And she was like 24 and her, my father asked for her hand. She wasn't actually dating my father. She was actually dating a whole other person, but my father was like a, a family friend and was around. Not that she didn't know my dad, but was around. She had no idea that he was into her that way. But my 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 grandpa was like, "Yeah, you can marry her." And she just found out from her dad that she was going to be marrying my father, and she was just like, "What?" And <laughs> had to marry him and come to the United States. And she told me about how like, um, you know, she, he came here and kind of like put her up in the house, and she was, she was you know typical like cook clean. Mm. Stay right there. You know, don't learn no English. Don't learn. So he was like locking her up in this house. Mm. And I realized how, at, when I was looking at my mom telling me her story, I'm like, oh my God, you were my age. Mm. And you were put in a home, married to a man that you knew but didn't want to be with. And now having his babies and stuck in a house, no, in a whole new world, no English, and mm. had to navigate this world mm. all by yourself. And I'm like, Wow, like this is crazy the sacrifice. I, I, me, 22, someone come tell me you're gonna marry this man? Yeah. Hell no, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened to me, you know? And then I just realized how much of a sacrifice that she made for us. And, you know, and, and at the end of her telling her story, she just ultimately was just like, you know, I, out, of this, out of this marriage, I got three of you guys, and my life became you guys, and I wanted to make sure that you guys had everything you want. So I worked the three jobs. I mm-hmm. worked the overtime. I did everything so that you could have whatever you want. And it just boggled my mind how much of a sacrifice one person can make mm-hmm. for their children. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, this, this really, like, gets me emotional. Yeah. It's like when you really see, like, the sacrifices mm-hmm. your parents made coming coming from mm-hmm. a country that was under distress, right. you know, and it's a, under a dictatorship coming here mm-hmm. off the strength of just hope, mm-hmm. nothing else, because mm-hmm. you don't know anything else. Right. You came mm-hmm. here to a country, you don't know the language, mm-hmm. you don't know like what you're going to what you're going to be faced with. Now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're black. Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're, this, right. you're dealing with right. all the other mm-hmm. issues that they have to face. And you did this so you can have a better life for your legacy, right. mm-hmm. which is me. And mm-hmm. I see right. all the stuff that, like when I, it's it's divine to me, you know, yeah. it's a blessing to me because mm-hmm. I know that when I think about my mom and how smart she was, I'm like, you could have been a doctor. You could have mm-hmm. been, right. You could have been anything. anything. You could have been mean? anything. But right. you gave me the gift to be anybody. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. And it's and that, that's that's college. College really made me see my parents in a in a light that I didn't see them before. I'm like, you guys were young and you guys did all this. Mm-hmm. And like when people call, when people say like, oh, you're spoiled or you're this, you're that. And I'm thinking to myself like, I know what I went through. I know what my parents went mm-hmm. through to provide me with 
this kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's just and on, on like pennies on like right, pennies i mean right. i remember i remember when when i see my mom's check when i was in college she was like making like six hundred something dollars mm-hmm. every two weeks and i'm like how fast, are you paying these check. bills here yeah <laughs> how yeah how yeah I was in college making more than my mom, and I couldn't mm. believe that she had a house, a car, and all bills paid. Mm-hmm. I never went a night without food in my mouth, mm-hmm. and I don't know how she did it. Our parents are superheroes. When I think about the love that my parents have for me, like, it makes me scared. Like, it makes me so nervous. Mm-hmm. Like. My parents literally look at us as if like we are their limbs, yeah. we're their arms, we're their legs. And like I don't have any children now, but like I can't even fathom loving someone enough in that way, especially because our parents come here, well in my case, they came before I was even alive. Mm-hmm. So it's like to love someone you don't even know, you haven't even met yet enough to come to a new country, learn a new language. And like, again, to the points that you guys have made, like I've had conversations with my mom because you know now like Me Too is big and now people are calling out racial injustice. So I've had conversations with her about like, so what happened when you came, Hmm. when you didn't speak a language and you were a woman and you were young and you Hmm. were in these offices with these white men that knew that you had nothing else and that you needed to keep your job in order to feed your two kids because right. she was a single mother at that time. And she would tell me, like, my, I feel like she couldn't even express some of the things that have happened to her. And now I'm getting emotional. Know, <laughs> <laughs> you better drink and your water, girl. Just, like, I can only, I can only, because knowing what I've been through, yeah, like, yeah. I can only imagine yeah. what my mom has been through, yeah. what my dad has been through. My parents are literally the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. And you know how this world looks at it. And now we're like n- not even college, but right. like, <laughs> yes, it is connected to college because college is the reason why they made those sacrifices, right. right? But it's like for like my dad to be the most brilliant person in the room and to know that people are looking at him as the dumbest because mm-hmm. he has an accent. Like, that is just so crazy to me. Like, and then, like, on top of that, the fact that, and I think what makes college, like, super important to me, and I think Haitian people in general, is um, just, like, my mom, so my mom, um, at a point in time when she came to the U.S., she wanted to go back to school. She wanted to, she has, um, she was, when she left Haiti, she was teaching at, like, the top public school in Haiti. She became a principal at a very young age, like, 24. She was principal. Um, and then when she came here, she wanted to go back to school, but me being the mama's girl that I am, every time she would leave, I'd be like, mommy, why? (laughs) Again, you're leaving me again, (laughs) again. So she felt so horrible that she didn't finish getting her bachelor's degree here in the U.S. She got her associate's degree. So like when I walked across that stage, that's what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. it's okay it's so true yeah it's so true and that's why like i don't think people understand like immigrant children's relationship with school because Mm. it's the opportunity that your parents wanted for themselves that they're willing to sacrifice right all for you to have 
And for me, it wasn't a choice to be who I am because my parents worked too hard to place me in these positions that I am to the point that people can call me spoiled. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you better call me spoiled. My parents worked hard, bro. If anyone calls me uh, uh, spoiled, privileged, whatever, my parents worked hard. Like, you want me to show you where my parents were born, bro? Exactly. Like, these hoods, this Roxbury, Dorchester, Brockton, that's nothing. You have running water? Okay. Not my mom's life. Exactly. I'm telling you, like, I looked and see, like, my father's journey and what he's been able to bring back to the Haitian American community and the Haitian community that he serves. Mm -hmm. And my mom, like, being able to, to go through nursing. And I remember her telling me, like, how devastated she was every time she failed the NCLEX mm. until she finally passed it with two kids. I went to school with my mom. Mm. I went to school with mm. my mom while she was going to nursing school. Mm-hmm. And I remember how, like, she told me, you know, the tears, how difficult it was to have two children, and you're just working hard to provide them with this life that I have now. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, when I see all the stuff that I've been able to do, I don't even, it, yes, it's about me putting in the work too, but it's also about understanding that a lot of the reasons why I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do is because of the sacrifices my parents made. Yep. And college, whether it was like, you know, it was a coming of age, it was all these things, the number one thing, like I said, I'm grateful for is being able to recognize that at the very end of the day, outside of the titles of mother and father, my parents are people you know mm. they're human mm. and they have a story too mm-hmm. you know and the story doesn't end with me yeah you know Ugh. so yeah no <laughs> that's a lot it's a lot uh but college that's what college was yeah. college was a lot and i'm um, grateful for the experience because again like we've been saying it's gotten us to the place where we are today mm. and i think um we we value education a lot more than maybe other people because of our background Mm -hmm. and our experiences and uh i would never take that piece of paper for granted because of the work and um everything that not even just my parents my ancestors (laughs) put in to get me where i am so I guess my last question is just similar to the first episode. Do you have any advice for people that are currently in college that might be struggling, that might feel like they're not going to make it through or who might be battling some sort of mental health issue, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, bullying, racism? I'd say definitely tap into the resources in the school, like the... The counseling center, I, there's, a, there's academic support usually or, you know, um, reaching out to a professor that you happen to be close to and talking. Like, I think just like in the last episode they were saying, just like saying something, mm-hmm. you know, saying, speaking up about what you're experiencing. Um, and hopefully you're able to build a little tribe or have a crew that uh, is like you and it doesn't necessarily need to be looking like you, but... Um, you know, if if that's, you know, if you're in a nursing program, a nursing crew, if you're in a sociology program, that. But 
I think finding one or two friends that, you know, can understand you and you can ride the wave with them. Um, and, and also understanding that you don't necessarily need to participate in every little thing. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you, if, if, if you don't want to use, you don't have to use, you know, there's, there's, there's so much. First of all, I always, I used to always tell the freshmen as I got older, it's just like, you spend so much money. First of all, now, the how much college costs now, yeah. you spend so much money, and you're gonna be paying towards that <laughs> for years mm -hmm. to come. Hopefully, you you know, you do your scholarships and all that beforehand, but you're investing so much money into your education, like, I just feel like there's, there's, there's no losing. So put that at the top of your mind that your investment is in yourself and you need to take up all the resources that you can take up to make sure that you're successful at the end of it. If college is what you choose, because right. I don't think that everyone needs to go to college necessarily. I mean, these days you can be YouTube famous and you're 10 years old. So yeah. um, if college is something that you choose, make sure that you tap into all the resources that you can tap into to make sure that your college experience is successful. I think that um, the advice that I would give people is that you're not alone. Mm. People have been through this before. You're not the only person that's crying outside at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. and people walking by you. Like, mm -hmm. it's so <laughs> normal. Yeah, it's so true. moments where, you know, you, you're, you're the one running back to the dorm at 4 a.m. after a breakup. You mm -hmm. know, you're going to mm -hmm. go through all these ups and downs. Self-discovery is hard. Mm -hmm. And give yourself a break, mm -hmm. you know, don't think that you're going to figure it all out. It's, these are the toughest times. And I feel like even after college, after college, when you realize that now you're really in the real world, it's like, did this even matter? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's another question that you're, mm -hmm. you're up against. So just understand that it's a, it's a long road for self-discovery. Some people find it earlier than others, mm -hmm. but appreciate the journey because the journey is well worth it because in the end you find yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's um I posted a tweet on my Instagram that said something along the lines of and I'm paraphrasing that a part of finding yourself is really reverting back to who you were as a child. Mm. So I feel like my advice would tie into that a bit is like really knowing what makes you happy like at your core like without peer pressure, without pressure from parents without um society dictating whatever it is to you like what do you really enjoy and try to find spaces where you can do that on your right. college campus is yeah. what i would yeah, say and definitely. then also fomo to francis point fomo is not real like you're not missing out on anything right. you can take a nap and stay in and not go to every single party. Right. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Go to paint night thing or over and like, over again. Okay. So to wrap up, we are going to do a mindful moment. Mm -hmm. And um, our mindful moment is a question of how you feel like you want to bring joy into someone else's life over the course of the next week. I'm gonna say actually it's more of a challenge mm -hmm. of how you are going to bring joy into someone else's life. I'll go first because I've had time to think about this. I think um, bringing joy into someone's life isn't as complex as like we make it. Um, so I'll just speak to ex an experience I recently had. So I was in um, 
Italy last week and I was at dinner by myself and I noticed that my server was a trans woman. Um, I could just, she, she had long hair, but I could tell there was some bass in her voice and she had an Adam's apple. So after I finished eating, I just called her over and I just told her I was very proud of her. And um, at first she was like, oh, why? like why? And I just like kind of gave her like a deep stare in her eyes and I was just like, I'm very proud of you being in this country that I know is just super um, rigid and very much about the Catholic faith and you're being your own person. You're walking in your purpose. You are um, being a walking advocate for this life that you know that you have to live. And um, she was just super grateful. So I think seeing people mm. is how I want to bring joy to other people within this next week. Nice. Uh, I think for me is realizing, well, for me, I, lately I've, I have a lot, I have a couple of friends that have children. Mm. And when you have children, you need people. Mm. Yeah. If you're talking mm. about babysitting, I got one for you to babysit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, the course of the last past few days, I had like text messages like, "Can you please, you know?" Please you please always got a kid on you. I know. Can you please pick up my daughter uh, from daycare. I can't do it, so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna work from home, and then I'm gonna I'll pick up your daughter. Or um, then today, like I picked up another friend of mine's her child to. Um, to watch her for a little bit and bonded with her for a little bit. And I just want to show people that, you know, you don't have to do it alone. Mm. You know, and if mm. I can offer, like, my time when I have free time to just alleviate a little, the little bit of stress that you have, you know, mm. which is picking up a child. Because I know for me, like, you know, I have a lot of appreciation for single mothers because I know it is damn hard, mm -hmm. okay? Mm. And you have to build a community behind you to know that, yo, you know, your kid is going to be okay, and I got you. I like so that. That's nice. That's how I'm going to, you know, bring joy to someone, realizing that they can not stress out a little bit. That's nice. Um, that's funny. When you said it, I, thought, I, I honestly thought about my daughter first because I always feel like she doesn't think I'm cool enough. <laughs> um, I think the way that I would bring joy, I'm, I'm not going to participate in pity parties. Mm. Um, I, I want to help people recognize that, you know, that for this moment they may be having a difficult time, but, you know, help them point out things that are going good and help them realize that this is just a moment um, because that's, that's been a lot uh, around me and I've, I've just been quiet in those spaces more than um, actively saying, oh, that's okay, well, but what about X, Y, and Z? Like, this is going good for you, or let's think about something that's going good for you. So mm -hmm. I think that's how I'm going to bring joy is, is not, not participate in any pity parties. I like that. Yeah. So for everyone watching or listening, we challenge you to bring joy to someone within the next week. I like to live by small is all, so any small act of kindness, I think, goes a very long way. 
And I also would like to make a plug for mm -hmm. our t-shirts, which are available on our website, www.woyminc.org. All proceeds go to What's On Your Mind. If you enjoy this programming, if you like the podcast, if you've been to MindFest, if you've been to one of our social service mixers, please join the cause because more counselors, less cops. I think um, if you're a part of the What's On Your Mind tribe, you prescribe to that. Please purchase a shirt. They're on our website again. And uh, I just want to say thank you to my guests. Thank, thank you, you guys thank you. for thank coming you. on episode two of the Mindful Podcast. Nice. Thank you. See you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>